Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, ten, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. You've heard this before, but Mookie Betts is headed to Los Angeles. And you probably heard this one too. The Rays have acquired another outfielder. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three cold brews yet. Got ahead of me on uh, my my caffeine question, so glad glad to know that there's been uh, some caffeination in your life. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, February 10th. Al Melker here with Derek Van Riper. And, uh, you know, DVR, I hope that this version of the Mookie Betts trade does get finalized as of right now. It's still in the agreement stage. But, uh, you know, if it doesn't get finalized soon, I think we're going to have to change the name of the show to Mookie Betts Rumors in 15. Yeah, it's going to be a documentary series unintentionally <laughs> about the, the saga of the Red Sox and Dodgers hooking up for a Mookie Betts trade that took... Uh, almost a week to complete. So hopefully this time it is for real. Uh, it sounds like the return that the Red Sox are getting is a lot better with the adjustments. Yeah, and hopefully they they do think so. So they'll just finalize everything and we can we can move on to other news. But uh, I would agree with that uh, that assessment. So it's still going to be Betts and David Price and Cash going from Boston to the Dodgers and then going the other way. Still Alex Verdugo. But instead of the you know three-way deal uh, previously with the Twins, with Bruce Dargratterall going to the Red Sox, substitute in instead from the Dodgers system, Jeter Downs and Connor Wong. Uh, Downs is John Sickles' number 95 prospect on his top 100 list that you can find on The Athletic. Uh, Connor Wong's a catching prospect who split his 2019 season between uh, Rancho Cucamonga in the California League and Double A Tulsa. Uh, Downs spent most of the year in the California League. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see either one for uh, for 2020, but both are very relevant for uh, for Dynasty Leagues. But uh, I guess the, you know, the more impactful part of this might be the Dodgers-Twins part, which also is still alive. And, and again, that's uh, still in the agreement stage. But before we move on to that, is there anything about this new version of the Dodgers-Red Sox deal that uh, seems relevant for, well, I guess either for 2020 or beyond? I mean, Jeter Downs might have been a little bit blocked in the Dodgers middle infield, but we know the Red Sox have a long-term hole at second base, and I think they have now found their second baseman of the future. Uh, So we could see Xander Bogarts and Jeter Downs holding down that middle infield as soon as 2021. We're talking about a guy in Downs who reached double A at the end of last season as a 21-year-old, was outstanding at high A, has power, has speed, has a good hit tool, and has a patient eye at the plate. So he can do 
everything. And to get him as the lead prospect back in the deal behind Alex Verdugo, a big league ready outfielder who's already had some success at the big league level, it just enhances that return by a lot. And it gives Jeter Downs, I think, a faster track to the big leagues than he would have had if he had not been included in this trade. Yeah, I mean, I suppose maybe if he really tears it up, I, I assume he goes to double A. If he tears it up there, maybe he could be a September call-up, but I think that's probably the the fastest possible track that Downs could be on. And you did reference that he did really well in the California League. I mean, that is a hitter's league, but I like the fact that he also stole 23 bases in addition to the 19 home runs. I don't think that steals necessarily are going to happen more frequently in the California League. So, uh, there you know, st- the steals aren't going to slump. Maybe as he ad- advances through the uh, through the ranks now in the Red Sox system. So that's that's an encouraging thing to see. And then as for uh, Connor Wong, really impressive season. And yeah, the power numbers may be inflated a little bit by the California League, but he just kept on going after getting promoted to Tulsa. A total of 24 home runs and 11 steals. That's right, 11 steals for a catching prospect. I don't know how much that's going to translate once he comes up, but that's always intriguing to me when you see a catcher that steals some bases in the minors. Yeah, to me, it's just a sign that there's above average athleticism. Like Even if those steals don't hold up as a player progresses through the upper levels of the minors and eventually reaches the big leagues, uh, it's it's not your lumbering catcher who's going to be clogging up the base paths. Uh, so I think he's you know maybe more likely to become a middle-of-the-order sort of bat. I think the main question that you have with Connor Wong is the strikeout rate. It's been at or above 30% uh, since he reached high A for the first time in 2018. So there's definitely a lot of swing and miss there, but there are tools to dream on. Uh, So he could be a nice throw-in for this trade as well. Absolutely. So well, let's move on to that other trade, which is now really a separate deal between the Dodgers and the Twins. So still Kenta Maeda going to the Twins. I love that. I'm, I'm glad that he's not going to be stuck with the Dodgers, uh, have, probably having his innings limited in a very crowded rotation situation. He just plugs right in now as a major part of that Twins rotation. And then along with uh, Cash and a player from the lower minors, at least uh, according to the report I saw from John Morosi, that's the package going to Minnesota. And then coming back, Bruce DeGratterall, and a compensatory pick, and also minor league outfielder Luke Raley, who was actually traded from the Dodgers to the Twins in the Brian Dozier deal. So he comes back. Uh, I guess Brian Dozier got to play for for free then, uh, for, as far as the Dodgers <laughs> were concerned. Uh, but uh, anyhow, you know, just a, a minor part of the deal. The big deal here is obviously Bruce Gratterall. So that was an intriguing possibility with him in the Red Sox and that bullpen that we talked about quite a bit in some previous episodes of being very unsettled in 2019. Now he's going to a Dodgers bullpen that had very defined roles, not just in 2019, but really has been for several years. But with Kenley Jansen slipping a little bit for each of the last few seasons, do you think that the presence of Gratterall maybe sinks his value a little bit, Jansen's value? It, does this situation maybe increase Gratterall's value? How do you see that all playing out? I think Boston was a better landing spot because before we knew that they had some issues with the medicals that they reviewed with Bruiser Gratterall, we believed there was at least a chance they could try and stretch him out as a starter and have him develop a third pitch and just kind of see what happened. With the Dodgers, that's seemingly totally off the table. They have a lot more starting pitching depth in that organization. 
You mentioned Jansen in the bullpen. I mean, they also have Blake Trinan now, too. So I think his path to becoming a closer in Los Angeles is also more obstructed than it would have been in Boston. You know, with Brandon Workman being a guy who popped up to take over that job last year, you don't have someone who's been entrenched in the role for the better part of a decade. And you don't have a guy that is just a full year removed from being one of the best closers in the game and Blake Trinan. So I, I look at this situation as one where, you know, Gratterall is going to be a big part of the Dodgers bullpen, probably as more like a sixth or seventh inning guy. Uh, I don't really see him getting any saves, at least in, in 2020. Like Maybe he's the the long, long-term replacement for Kenley Jansen once that contract runs out. Yeah, well, I like what you said. I think it was on last Friday's show about closers and waiting. That Sometimes that just means they're waiting and waiting, and they're uh, a setup reliever for life. So uh, let's not hope that that's the, the case for Gratterall with his upside, but... I would agree with you that I don't think that his presence there really changes anybody's value in the in the Dodger bullpen. Now, we can't really necessarily the same, say the same thing about the Rays. They uh, got together again with the Padres to make another deal. And this one was one I had to look at two, three times. DVR, I don't know what your re- reaction was initially to this trade, but uh, to me, it's, it's still a little bit of a head-scratcher. The Rays dealt Emilio Pagan, who was their primary closer last year, if we can say there was such a thing for the Rays. So he goes to the Padres, who already had a stacked bullpen. And coming the other way, another outfielder for the Rays. Uh, it's, it's almost comical, really, how many outfielders the Rays have now. But this is a, a good one, especially defensively. Manuel Margot going from the Padres to the Rays along with prospect uh, Logan Driscoll, who also uh, catches and plays the outfield. But obviously the main parts here are Pagan and Margot. So uh, we need to talk about the the bullpens involved here, but what do you think about this uh, outfield situation in uh, Tampa Bay? The way I look at it, it's so crowded. I mean, obviously Austin Meadows is going to be a fairly early pick in drafts and has been already. But is there anybody else there who stands out enough to get playing time and, and has the skills to to really be relevant outside of deeper leagues? In the outfield mix, it's pretty tricky. Um, Hunter Renfro as a, a righty, I mean, he's obviously going to play against every lefty starter and probably against some same-handed pitching. But Margot probably platoons with Kevin Kiermeyer in center. They have Yoshi Satsugo, who can play a little bit of left field. He could be in the DH mix. It kind of depends on what they do with Nate Lowe. There's definitely a trickle-down effect now. Injuries could shake things up. Another trade could be on the horizon. And we've seen the Rays cast off useful players after getting a productive season in the not-so-distant past. So maybe G-Man Choi is not as safe on this roster as you would think based on what he did a year ago. Uh, So this is a good team that continues to shuffle pieces around and um, it, it, as you said, it, it makes it a very frustrating group. I mean, even Randy Arozarena, who a few weeks ago when they acquired him from St. Louis, looked like a, a quiet winner of the offseason. Now he looks like a player who might get optioned back to AAA to begin the season. Uh, the decision to trade Pagan makes a little bit of sense. It just didn't make a lot of sense to trade for Manuel Margot. I mean, that, that was the, the odd part. I mean, with <laughs> yeah. Pagan, I had forgotten this, but he was one of their last cuts in spring training last year. So the Rays sent him down to begin the season called him back up in mid-April, sent him back down after a few days, and then brought him back up in the second half of the month and eventually you know, stuck and, and got the saves. I started thinking about the Rays over the last few years, and we have this perception that they're a team that messes around with the ninth inning probably more than they do. 
in part mm-hmm. because it was Sergio Romo with 25 saves in 2018, Pagan with 20 uh, a year ago. But Alex Colome in back-to-back years led the Rays in saves under Kevin Cash in 2016 and 2017, uh, 37 and 47 saves those seasons. The year before that, in 2015, it was Brad Boxberger racking up 41 saves. Uh, we saw back-to-back years earlier in the decade with Fernando Rodney holding down the job. So I don't think they're quite as messy with that ninth inning role as we might think. But 2019 could have also been the beginning of a, a new approach where they were mixing and matching with their depth. So it's kind of an open question as to who's going to get the most save chances. And then, of course, if it's going to be split like it was at the beginning of last season before Pagan really took that job and ran with it. Yeah. And if I recall, I think it was 2018 when they started instituting the opener. I think they did that midseason. So that's that leads me to think that maybe there was a bit of a, a change in the philosophy there because it, all the roles were sort of up for grabs once they started using the, the opener. So I don't know. I don't know. It, uh, you know. I think the obvious question that's begged here is, do we just assume then that Nick Anderson, who, again, to use the term, uh, closer and waiting, I think he has been viewed as next in line almost since the moment that the Rays acquired him from the Marlins at the, at the deadline last year. So I'm sure that his ADP is going to soar at this point. But I don't know that I'm really that much more in on Nick Anderson now than I was a day or two ago because – it is. It's a. It's still a pretty good deep bullpen, especially if everybody's healthy, like Diego Castillo and Jose Alvarado, who both missed some time with injuries in in 2019. Yeah, I mean, I think Castillo and Alvarado were the tandem holding down the job early last season before it became Pagan's job. So, mm-hmm. if the price on Nick Anderson soars, if people start treating him like a top 12 or, or top 15 closer going forward this draft season, I probably won't pay that premium for him because I just don't see enough of a a hold on the job at this point. I mean, barring something like Kevin Cash coming out and saying, Nick Anderson's going to be our closer. We're going to use him in the ninth inning exclusively. I'm just not going to pay the inflated price. I'm going to take the cheaper darts on Castillo and maybe in draft and holds or AL only on the lefty Jose Alvarado. The only reason I would even take the chance on Alvarado is because of Colin Pochet. Having another lefty available makes it at least possible for another left-hander to end up in that ninth-inning role uh, in in some kind of split sort of arrangement. Yeah, I mean, they still have uh, quite a few good relievers there. Oliver Drake as well, who I think chimed in for a few saves himself last year. It certainly got a lot of high high leverage work. So that's going to be one to watch. It certainly would make all of our lives easier if Kevin Cash did come out and, and make an announcement, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath uh, Hold my breath on that. And the other thing, uh, shifting over to the Padres, I don't think that Kirby Yates has anything to worry about there, but they have so many good relievers. I mean, that bullpen is quality, at least I'd say six relievers deep, that I wonder if that's really going to impact the innings of the starters. You know, it might, but I think a lot of their starters, guys like Chris Paddock, Denelson Lamette, Mackenzie Gore, at some point will debut if he's not even part of the opening day rotation. I think that could be a possibility as well. They have a lot of guys that aren't necessarily going to be 170 or 180 inning starters anyway. So having a lot of bullpen depth is one way to really ease the burden on their starters uh, every fifth day anyway. Uh, So I I love what they have done there. I mean, with Yates, Pomerantz, Pagan. Andres Munoz, Matt Strom as kind of a multi-inning lefty who's really good. Uh, And that doesn't even mention everybody. I mean, they have more young (laughs) talent that they can put into bullpen roles if they don't have space in the rotation, too. So I really like the way the Padres have been 
organizing their roster and, and making adjustments. And you take Margot out of the outfield mix, it probably means there's more time out there for Josh Naylor. Uh, he's not going to mm-hmm. play center field, but I see Trent Grisham being the primary center fielder. And then it's kind of like Naylor versus Cordero for the fourth outfielder role. If you look at what they're emphasizing this offseason with Pham and, and Trent Grisham as two guys who get on base a lot, Josh Naylor starts to make a lot more sense as a guy who's going to have a larger role than expected in their playing time mix. Well, any move that creates more playing time for Franchi Cordero is a good move, in my opinion. So <laughs> let's <laughs> see if we can loves stay Franchi. Yeah, I do love Franchi. Well, uh, before we sign off here, just want to share a featured read of the day. This one uh, from our friends at Rotographs. Uh, this is uh, definitely uh, a, a lot of uh, advanced stats involved in this one, but worth the time to dig into. Quantifying the benefit of spray angle to ex-WOBA uh, by Alex Chamberlain, who does a ton of great work there for uh, Rotographs. And it's it's worth the time to break it down because there are some different uh, some real changes in that ex woba uh how it should be interpreted for for some uh some hitters that may be under or uh, overvalued going into drafts this year so i will leave it at that and wrap things up here on this episode of fantasy baseball in 15 if you're not already a subscriber to the athletic you can get 40 percent off of a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15 and everything that we do is included with a subscription if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review we'd greatly appreciate it if you did take the time to do that so for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker, and we will be back with you on Tuesday. <laughs>